Welcome back to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. Today is book club day, and we're going to be talking about The Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson, with friends of the pod, DJ and Tara. Welcome back to Fucking Cancelled. Welcome back to Fucking Cancelled. So today we're doing another episode of The Book Club. Yeah, and we are joined by our dear friends of the pod, Tara McGowan-Ross and DJ Fraser. (laughs) Not Fraser. (laughs) Not Tara. (laughs) Um, yeah, and as we mentioned a couple episodes ago, um, today we are going to be talking about the book, The Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, probably one of my all-time favorite books and, uh, is an amazing read that everybody should read. Um, yeah, like maybe before we get into the main sort of discussion portion, we can give a kind of like brief summary of the book or like a kind of overview of what it's about you know um, just so people have some idea of what we're talking about in case you have not um, had the chance to read the book and basically the ministry for the future is um, a science fiction novel but it's set in the very very near future so within the next like two decades um, which is obviously like unusual for most science fiction which tends to be set further in the future um, and it follows basically it follows this bureaucrat um, <laughs> which is also unusual for fiction um, who is tasked with running a United Nations, like, division. Um, And that division is supposed to be representing the interests of uh, future generations um, and also, like, non-human entities that cannot represent themselves. Um, And so, uh, so that's what they're doing. And then they're sort of like, well, we like future generations will definitely want um, a world to live in, you know? So basically they're, what their job is, is to try to save the planet from, from climate collapse. Um, and so that's the, the main thrust of the book. And um, yeah. So I don't know. What did you guys think? Did you like it? <laughs> I think, I think it's um, an interesting point to maybe talk a little bit about Kim Stanley Robinson mm-hmm. first and his style of fiction, fiction, yeah. nonfiction. Sure, yeah. This is the first Kim Stanley Robinson book that I've ever read, so other people are going to have to inform me about what his yeah. deal is. Yeah. I, I've actually been um, thrust into Kim Stanley Robinson world for the past couple of years now. and Whether you I'm, want to or not? <laughs> I mean, I wanted to, and then I hated it, and then I would throw the books across the room because I'm not, I'm not a science guy, and I have a really hard time visualizing a lot of the things that he's talking about because what he does is he does hard sci-fi. I've been informed by Jay and Clementine that this is what it's called. <laughs> it's where the science is so plausible that it could... It could actually work. Yeah. Mm. And this actually comes into ministry for the future quite a bit. But, like, I'm st- I'm at the very end stage of reading a trilogy by Kim Stanley Robinson as well, which I had such a love-hate relationship mm. for the first book, then through the second book, and now I'm at the third book and I'm savoring it finally. But I think it's really important to say that he is an author that is... Um, extremely heavy on world building, and Tara mm. and I have talked about this quite a bit, yeah. and it is... Uh, I found it to be very sloggy at times um, through all of his books, but 
the character development really saves it for me because mm. he's brilliant at characters. And even if he's going into these like solar flare panels, like all of this wild <laughs> stuff, he comes in with these beautiful turns of phrase and like absolutely magnificent character building. So that's, that's what I can get into. But I also appreciate the, the minutia, yeah. although it's hard sometimes. So Jay and I are huge Kim Stanley Robinson fans. Um, And like what I love about Kim Stanley Robinson is like Kim Stanley Robinson is a fiction writer, but Kim Stanley Robinson is like an anthropologist, a historian, an economist, a scientist, like a philosopher. Mm -hmm. He is probably the most well-researched fiction writer that I've ever read. Yeah. And he goes into such extreme detail in in his building of his books. Um, And what he's writing is actually, like, accurate in the sense that it's based in real-world things. Like, even in his more, like, sci-fi sci-fi, like the Mars Trilogy, which GJ was just talking about, like, the science is as realistic as it could be Mm -hmm. um, for something that kind of, like, far-fetched, like terraforming Mars, you know? Um, And in this book, obviously, it is a lot more realistic because it's happening in this context, in this world, like in this timeline, you know? Um, But he does a lot of, he's like a political and anthropological thinker who, who examines like human beings and what we do together collectively. And he does a lot of research into like human cultures and human societies and how humans have organized ourselves and like the shortcomings and then, and the benefits of different ways that human beings have organized ourselves like historically and cross-culturally. And so that is like really fundamental in his books and really shines through. So like when you're reading it, like I found I was often like Googling things to be like, is this a real thing? Is this like a real person? Is this like a real historical thing that he's talking about? And often it is. Yeah. Yeah, what I think is, like, interesting, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a philosopher of science recently, and she was saying that, like, one of the big tragedies about, like, sort of heavy science writing specifically is that it's, the scientists write for other scientists, you know, they don't right. write for, like, the general population, so, like, what ends up happening is that, like, like uh, I don't know, plebeians, like myself, who, like, literally do, I don't have a very sciencey mind, I, like, uh, I'm sure that if I applied myself harder, I would have done better at it in school, but I didn't, so here we are, uh, and I, I'm a poet now, but, like, <laughs> but, like, uh, like, the plebeians, like myself, kind of only get access to the science that just happens to be written by people who know how to write so mm. that people can actually read, like, normies like me can actually read it, so, like, what I thought was really cool about this is I was, like, here as a person who was like delivering like you know like this particular like whatever like meta-analysis of all these like cohort studies etc 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 but like it, like so that it's two people in a room and one of them's taking the other one hostage and they're like you gotta do right. it with the, in 2016 there was a you know a thing that came out this blah 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 um and that was that was like i was like oh this is really smart this is like a really like smart and fun way to like kind of i'm happy to to read something by someone who clearly has such a scientific mind who also like knows how to write it in a way that like I can follow, you know, because that's hard. Yeah. One of the things that's always been impressive to me about Kim Stanley Robinson, KSR, um, is that... uh, As we all refer to him, our close friend, Kim Stanley Robinson. Our close friend, KSR, um, is, yeah, I mean, his command of, like, scientific uh, uh, terminology and so on is, like, amazing. But also his command of um, geography and history is astonishing, you know? Yeah. And he has this other book called The Years of Rice and Salt yeah. that I always talk about that um, even though it's um, even though it's alternate history, so it's literally describing things that did not happen, right. um, you still end up, like, learning more about, like, real history and geography than, like, you 
than you would in like any other book. It's like a really amazing novel. Um, but he, he gets into that in this book too, because even though it is about this sort of this bureaucrat basically, um, named Mary Malone, um, it also has all these kind of vignettes of, uh, people from around the world, um, sort of experiencing these sort of these, these climate moments, we could say, you know, Mm. um, what did you guys think of that, that writing structure, that style, um, where you have these, um, quite short chapters, a lot of them are literally like a page long, you know, mm. and then you'll have like other longer ones that are sort of like the more main plot, but they're interspersed like continually, like these little vignettes. What do you guys think that worked? Like, how did you feel about it? Well, first of all, her name's Mary Murphy. Okay. Oh, is it? And second, <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> Mary, Malone. Mary Malone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is I Mary like, like, Do I, just, I mention that or do I just? <laughs> I'm just being. I'm just being an asshole. But, is um, Mary Malone from His Dark Materials? I think it might be. I don't have no idea. I don't know that. Anyway. But um, what I thought was cool is like as somebody who's I wrote a like a like book length work of prose recently and had an editor um and like I mean like what I thought was really cool about this is that I think the way that Kim Stanley Robinson writes this book gives a lot of like there's a lot of faith in the reader because there's like abrupt shifts all the time like you know like it's like there's like there's a there are these this this main character and this kind of like a secondary main character and it follows their story to a certain extent but then there's also like all of these, like, it's, it's got all this, like, quote-unquote fictional testimony of, like, all of... So it'll just randomly change speakers, like, between one chapter and the mm-hmm. next. Mm-hmm. And I'll be in a completely different place. And it won't, like... It won't do a lot of exposition of just basically being, like, here's where I am. I'm doing exactly this thing. And this is the person that I am. They'll just start talking as though it's, like, a page out of their journal or something. And I'm, like... I'm, like, trusted to put everything together. And, like, I didn't find... Like, I don't know. When, like, I... Sometimes I would try to do that in, like, my book. And people would be, like, this is disorienting. And I'm, like but I trust you to like figure it out, you know? Like, so there's a lot of like, I felt like I wasn't being treated like a dumb dumb, which is cool because like, um, it's also like clearly written by someone who knows a lot more about a bunch of stuff that I do, you know? But it's like, so that what it made me think of was like people on average, one of the big problems with like, with like also disseminating scientific information, et cetera, is that people generally don't like being preached to. They don't like it. It makes them shut, shut down. But like, cause it like seems like being like, it kind of can feel like, be, you know, being dominated in a particular way when someone knows more than you and they're just like, I'm going to tell you what you don't understand about something, you mm-hmm. know? But this was, like, presenting information in a way that, like, uh, felt really collaborative and also, like, clearly had a lot of faith in me to follow and understand, um, which was, like, like, there's actually, like, there's pressure not to do that when you're publishing. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's cool that this was a thing in this book. Yeah, I mean, I think it is time that we begin to talk about climate change Mm. um, because that's what this book is about. And for me, like the way that that structure was like the way that the book was structured was frustrating, but the way that it was frustrating was, it was exactly the way that I feel about climate change because I feel like with climate change, we want there to be like a grand narrative of somebody who's in charge, right? Like somebody who's figuring this out. We want someone to be here who's just going to let us know what the plan is and what we're going to do because the world is ending, right? But instead, we have this, like, reality where there's just a lot of different actors who are doing a lot of different things or not doing what they should be doing or who are saying they're going to do something and they're not doing it. Um, And we have, you know, people with more power, but even the people with more power are, like, not organized and are not accountable and are, like, doing things in a very haphazard way. And then we have all of these different people, you know, just living their regular lives who don't have power, who want to do something about climate change, but like don't know what to do. And we have like, you know, these different pockets of like 
the human world, which is like a vast world, you know, and it's not organized, it's not synthesized. And so when you're facing something as like extremely overwhelming as climate change, like part of the the freeze response that I think comes up with for people when thinking about climate change or even like trying to like look at the reality of climate change is that we don't know what to do and we don't know how to be organized and we don't know how to get everybody on board because there's too many people in the world. And also we're living under capitalism where the people who have power are like the least likely to do anything about it, you know? And so I actually think that the structure of the book like mirrored that in this way where it was sort of like diffuse where the story is being told in all of these different places and it's almost unclear that it's like one story. Yeah. But it is one story. It's the yeah. story of the human beings on earth. Like the whole world, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and like that is really what it what is real. It's like nobody is the main character. Like nobody actually is writing this grand narrative for how we're going to get out of this. We have all of these different actors who are all doing different things and like that is the true story of what is happening and what is going to happen. Yeah. I I personally like love the structure of this book and um I think that it's really cool how like there's all these because there's all these all these characters from all around the world um, who are experiencing these these moments you know like one I'll just give like an example to anybody who hasn't read the book you know one is just like this girl and she's like living in LA and she wants to be like an actress or something and then there's like a huge flood right oh my god <laughs> sorry I always like tear up when I think about this book it's like, really, really embarrassing um, but uh, there's a huge flood and LA is basically like just completely fucked like everything's like literally underwater but she happens to have this kayak because she used to go kayaking. And so she's like, she gets her kayak and she's going around sort of like um, rescuing people who are like trapped on roofs and stuff. And she has this moment where she's sort of like, wow, like this is more meaningful than anything I've ever done in my life, you know? Mm. And like, Mm. I'm actually doing something that matters for the first time ever, right? And she escapes alienation through this Mm. like act of, of climate mitigation or like climate collapse mitigation, right? Helping her fellows. And, and then you never meet that character again. And yeah. this, this, this chapter only lasts like I, maybe like 10 pages or something. Right. Um, and, but there's like, there's like dozens and dozens of these and it, it's actually very in line with Kim Stanley Robinson's like political orientation, I think, which is very based on solidarity and the idea that like everyone is sort of like in it together. Right. Um, and it's also interesting because he he does this thing too in this book and it's a bit cheesier and I don't, I don't know if it works as well but he does this thing where he's sort of like um he has chapters from the perspectives of like like photons and like non-human the market entities, and yeah. non, non-human entities mm. right and in um another book by him shaman which is a really good book as well it's like about the ice age um there are chapters brief chapters from the point of view of um animals who live around the camp of like the humans you know and it's just like this mm-hmm. there's like a chapter like this just like a cat being like i fucking hate these humans man they're so creepy like they wear other animals it's like really <laughs> fucked up you know um and uh yeah anyways i think it's like it's it's a really cool it's a really cool way to tell a story that is much 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 bigger than like one person yeah what do you think dj um, well, actually, that chapter about the girl in L.A. is probably, that was the turning point for me with the book. That was the turning point where I was like, okay, I can see this is actually going in a direction where there is more hope. Because <laughs> before that, you do get glimpses. You get glimpses here and there. And, you know, there there's moments. But that's when I really felt, like, a sea change. And I think that that in itself, like, with, I, I agree that the book structure mirrors kind of everybody's diffuse opinions about climate crisis and how it's going to be solved or not or mitigated. And um, I really do think that, like, there's there's this sort of, um, this plurality um, mm-hmm. and this polyphony, even, even as mentioned in the very last pages of the book, this polyphony, this sort of 
in relationship to cacophony, right? So cacophony is like this giant big noise, whereas polyphony is many noises together. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's this kind of beauty in that. I don't necessarily think that the chapters from the point of view of the market or the photon really worked for me. I was a, I, I, did, easy, yeah. I did roll my eyes a bit, but what it did do was it, it expanded it beyond the human experience, right? And like I think that's really what KSR is trying to do in a lot of his narratives, right? And I, I don't want to take it out to the whole like family of KSR books, but like being immersed in his universe for the past couple of years in fiction, it's been hard for me to get it. I'm not a sci-fi guy. I'm not a science guy by any means. And I think that like it's been um, a really interesting journey for me because I think he paints these beautiful landscapes as well, especially... Um, in terms of just like, just describing landscapes, not even as a metaphor, but he really places the human experience among all of the experiences of the universe, and I think for me that's that's really wild. But I I do I disagree. I think there is a protagonist. I think it is Mary Murphy. I think it's Mary Murphy, and I think it's Frank May, mm. and um, their stories really wove it together for me because, like I said about this author, he gets me with his characters. And I think that that, for me, is this this really beautiful strike between this intense science and this just gorgeous relationship of characters to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where his particular talents really lie. That being said, if we look at the cover of this book, it says one of the best nonfiction science fiction books yeah. written or whatever. And I think that there's something to be said with that as well, right? Is it it's not really fiction. It's it's a bit speculative and it's really hopeful, maybe even a lot more hopeful than a lot of us have for the future, but it's talking about real and concrete experiences that we're having right now. And mm-hmm. I think that's where where it is the most hopeful because normal people, normal people, bureaucrats, people who work in offices, people, whatever, they actually start talking about it. They stop being frozen by like paralyzing fear. And I think we've talked about this before maybe. Um, but like the inability to discuss climate crisis because it's so paralyzing, but here everybody's talking about it. Everybody is actually doing something. And there is one of these short chapters mm. where it's actually many, many voices of many representatives. Like, let me tell you about this project. I'm from Brazil. We're doing oh, this. Yeah. I'm from Norway. We're... That one also made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that there's this polyphony that is so beautiful in that. Yeah. No, I, another thing that, that I think that the structure of the book kind of like spoke to also is that there is no one specific like silver bullet that's going to solve everything you know it's like it's going to take a bunch of people slamming at this problem from like a bunch of different angles and also what that's going to do is cause other problems you know like because that's Mm -hmm. just makes me think about editing whenever i'm like you know whatever to allegedly be like i'm a writer everything's writing for me but like basically like you get a manuscript and it's done for me always whenever i have a finished manuscript i'm working on a manuscript now so i'm thinking about it i like get it and it's done and then it the only problem is that it really sucks. It's like very bad, you know, like it's like, and it's just, it's just tens of thousands of words of hot garbage. And then I have to like go through and like mark out all of the individual problems with it. And then I have to fix those problems one at a time, you know, and it's just an astronomical amount of work. And then what I get when I'm finished with that, all of that astronomical amount of work after the first astronomical amount of work is another thing that also sucks and is like, you know, but it's like 10% less 
bad than it was before. And then I go and do the whole process over, you know, like, and like the process of fixing issues in my manuscript causes other issues in my manuscript. But like, that's just how it goes. You know, that's not me failing at like editing. That's actually me like doing editing properly. And like the gritting my teeth and being like, here we go, let's keep going. Like, even though a bunch of problems came up, you know, like that's like, that is what the process is. Like, you know, like it is just a process. Um, and like, uh, that's what I, that's, you know, it's, and I think that like a lot of the time in very like doomery kind of like ways mm-hmm. of thinking about climate change, the fact that there are problems with a particular solution ends up, or like a, a solution to a problem will cause other problems ends up being this reason to like not do it at yeah. all, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's like, it actually isn't a silver bullet. No, but like also like it's a gigantic, huge, literally the most organic and massive problem that we like have to deal with, you know? Yeah. And it's complicated because it is true that sometimes like when we're dealing with systems and we're dealing with like in the ecological systems like of the world, there can be like cascade effects. So sometimes, you know, something going wrong, like you do a solution that has a bad outcome, an unexpected outcome that can have like a cascading effect that can like go on and like, you might not be able to reel it in, mm. you know? Right. So like the consequences of things fucking up is like very bad. It can be very bad, you know? So like the, the, the costs are like high. So I feel like there's like this middle ground between being like, we can't do anything because if we do something could go wrong or like, well, let's just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks because like certain things are definitely going to cause cascades that are going to have really bad environmental outcomes. Yeah. And like there is a character who does that, that person who's doing like the geoengineering on the glacier in this, there's a, in, in the book, there is a character who is like a, a scientist who's leading a bunch of uh, like scientists on a glacier and they're trying to like, do, like they're trying to limit glacier melt basically by like by like moving the like the frozen water around like a, you water know, around, yeah. basically pumping water to different places and in, in the hopes it'll refreeze before it like hits anything and uh and like there's a i think that his character was sort of like a stand-in for that idea because he's just like he's like i you know nothing bad's ever gonna happen to me i'm gonna live this is totally gonna work it's gonna solve everything i'm gonna live forever and then i won't give any spoilers but that leads to some he potential doesn't forever he doesn't live forever that's like, the question though are we are we doing spoilers I think, we, I think we should do spoilers. I think we can do spoilers. Spoilers are fine. Spoilers are yeah. fine. Okay, he but I, dies I, in a horrible ski accident. I, <laughs> um, I want to touch on something that we've all been like mentioning, which is the emotional impact of this book mm. on you. Like, because I know for me, it's like one of the most emotional books I've ever read. And also I know that like when I have talked to other people about it, like almost everyone has said that they like almost couldn't make it through the first part of the book. Yeah. And many people like literally did not They like put it down and didn't read it. It's know? brutal. The first bit of the book is like extremely awful. Yeah. So tell, tell, tell me more about how, how the book made you feel like the whole book, but also the beginning. So the first time that I tried to read this book, that's what happened to me. Like I, I read, um, the first part which is about a massive heat wave in india in which how many people die 20 million people in like like a few weeks yeah yeah so it's like absolute horrific mass death um and so you know that's really fucking upsetting and i really struggled to read that i felt i felt my nervous system was totally like activated by reading this because it's like whenever I think about climate change I feel fucking stressed out and start dissociating and panicking and like freaking out and being like I need to go block traffic like you know so I I started having those reactions of like panic and helplessness and despair um and I found it really difficult to continue reading it another thing that was difficult for me when I first started reading it is that I was mad that it was about people from the UN right because I was like I'm not from the UN I don't know them and I can't talk to them. 
Mm. So like, how, how is this helping me? Like, I want to do something about climate change. Yeah. So I was like, I don't fucking want this book because I was like, I don't trust these people to fucking do shit all. Yeah, like, it's yeah, nice yeah. that he's written, you know, this main character, Mary, she's like thoughtful and considerate and is actually like, you know, trying to do some good. And there's characters that are trying to do some good. But we also know in the book, you know, as I finally read the rest of it, like the book does start to unpack the complexities of this. But like the reality is that there's lots of people in power who are not actually invested in changing this circumstance or who are doing it in this very half-assed way or who are more invested in like saving their positions um, and in various ways like maintaining the social order as it currently is than actually changing anything, right? And so that sense of like powerlessness was very difficult for me when I first started reading the book and it caused me to freeze and not be able to continue. Finally, we were like, okay, we're going to do it for book club. So I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to read it. Um, and I'm really glad that I did. And I think that like, you know, the stuff that we were talking about, about the structure of the book and the fact that like, it is this diffuse thing where there's many different actors and there is no grand narrative in which one person is like writing the solution to climate change. Like that was one of the things that was the most difficult for me about the book, but also the most like honest, I think, and helped me to be with the reality of the situation in a more like real and honest way. Um, and I don't know, like there's this part where one of the things that they talk about is how under capitalism, one of the insane situations is that countries get to count fossil fuels in the ground as part of their current existing wealth, right? And so what this ends up doing is that they have like a very real material incentive to take that those fossil fuels out of the ground and sell them and burn them and stuff because they've already counted it. And so to leave it in the ground is to like lose all this money, even though it's not really money. And they've like borrowed against it and yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah. So, so it's already existing in the world as money, but it's not. And so to leave it in the ground is like really... Um, really bad or it's like really bad for them economically but it's obviously necessary to save the world mm -hmm. and so but he there's this one part where he talks about you know um like climate change is getting worse and worse and this is after the heat wave has already happened and like people know how bad it is and it's still people are still burning fossil fuels and he talks about these various like government people who each one of them are just like, we'll just take a little out of the ground. We'll just take a little out of the ground. And each one is like, none of them feel responsible that the, that they personally are going to be the person who takes the fossil fuels out of the ground that's going to be the tipping point that takes us beyond the point of like coming back from it, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, that firing squad. <laughs> and so like that sense of like nobody's in charge, no one's driving the bus, both of like the problem and of the solution. And it's very difficult to deal with a problem and a solution when we're dealing with like billions of people and also a system like capitalism where power is in the hands of like very few and none of those people are really accountable and all of them have all of these pressures to continue things as they are. And so I felt like the book from you was a lot of grappling with like powerlessness um, and a sense of like, where is our power and like, what does that power look like? And, you know, what Kim Stanley Robinson put forward, you know, he puts forward a lot of different things, but what I like about it is that I think it's like a realistic, it's the most realistic representation of what we could do about climate change of anything that I've read, because it's not like utopian anarchists who are like, woo, yeah. like we're going to just somehow seize the government of Canada. Like, I don't know how you're going to do that, but like. It's actually, like, within capitalism, within this real situation, like, what would work? And for him, it, there's a lot of, like, economic shit 
and like a lot of terrorism seems yeah. to be. <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing that I thought was cool about it is it was just like, oh, like, oh, it's speak softly and carry a big stick, the book, you know, like, where it's like there are some people who are just like, okay, so then this is the nice thing. And then they just like, meanwhile, there's like all these bombs going off in the background. It's like, oh, you could deal with them, you know, like, which one do you want to do? But in the end, it's a combination of the two. Well, yes, for sure. And then when you meet the, when you meet like the, the big players who actually like run the world under, under his like, um, sort of conceptual idea about that you hate them they're the worst they have no investment in actually going forward with civilization if it changes their particular circumstances because in the book this is a group of bankers basically who by default run the world Mm -hmm. and it's only when they think that they're guaranteeing the future of money yes, exactly. that they save the world. Under any other circumstances, it's absolutely unacceptable to have, um, you know, like uh, a carbon currency introduced for like keeping it in the ground or whatever. But if it's under the auspices of saving money, like like not just like putting it in your pocket, but like actually making sure that, making like, sure that it still it's, exists. It's stable. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. There's it, like, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uncontrollable individualism. Yeah. Like in this, in this sort of way, in which he really does weave it together in in the fact that nobody feels responsible and everybody is out for themselves and the only way that it actually does tip is when they start to reconfigure capitalism. Mm. Yeah, and like one of the things that I thought was interesting about it was that there's a there's a bit in it where um he's like explaining the like mentality of a lot of these people and they're like, you know, like like really what like and like the part that actually stuck out the most to me was when they're just kind of like they're just kind of they're, they're just doing what they were told was the thing that they were supposed to do. And they're just, they're like in their heads, they're just like, I'm just trying to provide for my kids and, you know, like, and look out for my, my family's future, you know, like in a way that is normal for them inside of the, like, the like circles that they have run in their entire lives, you know? So it's like, and like, um, it makes me think about like, you know, like, I don't know, some, an, an actress gets off the gets off the bus in like freaking like Los Angeles at the turn of the whatever and like she's gonna be a silent film actress and then like that day that you know like the, the talkies are the thing and silent film is out you know like it's like it's like it is difficult to like live your entire mm-hmm. life thinking you're gonna emerge into this one particular way of doing things and that that is how you are gonna succeed and then get there and be told like you actually have to do something totally different and they're like but this is how it has been done you know mm-hmm. like yeah. and it's like it's like there's a there's a major indoctrination thing that's happening too and like like we just not to say those people are not responsible because they are and they can you know they can they can pay attention but like also like like just like there was a few moments where I got to like get inside of these people's heads, yeah. like you know, with the fiction, and I was just kind of like, oh yeah, like yeah. it is really hard to do the opposite of what you were told your entire life was like the thing that you were supposed to do. So I think like Kim Stanley Robinson in this book, like okay, even though in in a lot of ways it's a very kind of like understated book um, about bureaucrats and scientists talking to each other mainly, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it there is like an enormous amount of like despair and rage that like shines yeah. through, mm-hmm. and it's it's his despair and rage you know oh. this is, he's like a very sensitive guy who like cares a lot about things you know and like you know a line from his from the mars trilogy the wild world itself is holy i think like sums up like his 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 view of like existence you know um and he's like sitting there watching the world that he loves be destroyed by yeah. like fucking psychos right mm. and and he's trying to figure out how to fucking stop it how would you stop it yes you know? yeah and and so like you know the first 
part of the book, like, especially about the heat wave and stuff is like that despair, that crushing despair that he feels. And he's trying to like make you feel it, yes. you know, and he succeeds because it's like awful and it's like almost impossible to read. Like it's yeah. so like hard to read. You know? It's it's so um, visceral. Like it, it is, it was sickening. Yeah. It, it turns your stomach. Yeah. Like, you yes. feel the crushing weight of dead flesh. It's mm-hmm. like impossible. Yeah. And, and, and then you power through it, you know, um, or you don't, but, <laughs> but you should, you, know, you should. Um, and then you get to, yeah, like, uh, you know, these, Euro- these UN bureaucrats being like, oh, maybe we can have like a carbon tax or whatever, you know? And, and you're like, oh my God, like it's not enough. Right. Yeah. But he has a character who is also like, oh my God, it's not enough. Yes. And it's, yeah. the, it's the guy, it's, it's, uh, Frank, Frank, Frank who, um, who survived the heat wave and was completely traumatized by it. Yeah. And the only know, one to survive and, in his whole village. Exactly. Yeah. And like this thing that Clementine was saying where, you know, Clementine was like it, I didn't want to read it cause it was about these fucking UN people. But Frank is like, fuck these UN people. And he kidnaps the main character because mm-hmm. he's so fucked up after like years of like trying to deal with his PTSD and years of like, you know, he tries to join a terrorist organization and they like, won't let him in, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and he's just like, he's like, I need to, you know, like exactly like Clementine said, he's like, these UN people won't listen to me. Like I'm nobody, you know? Yeah. So he like literally finds one of them and kidnaps one, you know? Um, and that is the rage that's coming through, you know, the mm-hmm. like absolute, like just the intolerable, feeling like of of like looking at these fucking like self-satisfied un fucking like bureaucrats in switzerland sort of like doing nothing right um and then i think the other thing that that came through for me and that that really kept touching me throughout the book and like literally kept making me cry is like longing Mm. it's like longing for like a different world that is like right there it's like right there you know but like the question is like how do we get it you know um, and, and he gives these examples, these tantalizing examples yeah. of, you know, con- like countries in the global South, like finally sort of like being able to get their shit together for various reasons. And then like sort of regaining the place that they should have as like the, the major powerhouses of like mm-hmm. the earth, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. um, it's like, there's no reason for India or China to not be like the, the largest and most powerful economies in the world. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and in this book, you know, like India sort of has like a Renaissance and like becomes like one of the most uh, yeah. important places on the planet, which it like should be, you know? And, um, I don't know. There's all these other examples. There's things like, um, uh, you know, a lot of countries sort of adopting this, this half earth policy, which is that like mm, half yeah, of the yeah, land yeah. on the planet should be given to the wild things, you know? And this is a sort of like, like ridiculous notion, like under our modern, like understanding of capitalism and what the utility of land is, you know, mm. but it's something that I long for, you know, and so does he, so does Kim Stanley Robinson, mm. you know, and he's like giving us these examples of it. But then it's like, the question is like, again, like how, how could we possibly get there? Right. And what he did, I believe is that because it's him, he sat down and he did research for yeah. like 10 years, probably you yeah. Know, yeah. on like, sort of like every field, imaginable that could possibly like relate to this so he like teaches himself economics and he's like learning about how like these un agencies work and he's learning about the fucking glaciers yeah you know um and then he and then he wants to explain it to us and the way that he does that because it's ksr and this is his style is he has scientists talk to each other yeah Yeah, or or economists explain things to people who are not economists you know Mm -hmm. and and we get to sort of like listen in on those conversations and um i i love that as like a way to to package up all, all your like rage and despair and longing and then like hand it off to other people and be like, do what you will with this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I, I, that like the beginning especially made me feel a lot is that like, um, I live in Canada. I've lived in Canada my whole entire life. It's a filthy rich first world country that like also like, um, like doesn't like in 
some ways we definitely stand to ha- get totally fucked up by climate change, but we don't stand to get fucked up the way that a place like, like a way like places close to the equator are by like global, like warming, especially like, you know, like, and I think a thing that I hear a lot, like from my apparently like super polite and friendly, like Canadian, like, you know, neighbors, et cetera, is just kind of like, a, oh yeah, too bad. You know, like, you know, like this sort of this sense of like, of like, of like, it'll be bad, but it'll be bad for other people. It won't be bad for me, you know, like, and so I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, you know, because like, I don't want the cost of living to go up, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, it, the, the feeling of like, how dare you, you know, is like so extremely powerful in me all the time. I'm like, those are like people, you know, like, and like mm-hmm. the, and also like, and it's not just like theoretical, like, mm, yeah, it might be like kind of bad, but like, also it's not going to affect me in any way. I'm just like, and like the, the, like begin the first bunch of the book is really like, just like, no, you have to look at it. Like you have to look at it and like, and like feel it, feel it. Yeah. And like, tell me that it's like, that it's, it's fine if it's not good. Like, I'm like, it's whatever, like old, like internet meme of like, I don't know how to explain to you that you're supposed to care about other people, you know, like, I just don't know how to explain that to you, to people in general. So like, um, and then like, yeah, there's this, like, I also think that like the other emotional, like thrust of this book for me was that like, it is, it's a, it's a profoundly hopeful book. Like it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like this very, very hopeful book. And like one of the most annoying things about like this particular moment in like climate change, I think. And like the, is that like, I keep on seeing people who have no hope and I think they're making everything worse. You know, like I'm just Mm -hmm. kind of like, I'm like, I'm like, especially I'm like kind of like sitting here in my filthy rich first world country, like being like, we don't, we owe it to everyone on the planet to not despair. We don't get to have, that's it just seems like more Western decadence to me, you know, to just like sit around and be all despairy and stuff, you know, like, and I'm just like, I'm like, why are all the like young people that I talk to just like sitting around being like, "Mm." I'm like, no, like we like actually do, we owe it to other people to like try harder to like not freak out about this, you know, like, cause it's like, because it's not going to, like, it's not going to hit us first. It's going to hit other people first. And like, we, we, and we have, we do have more power than like, you know, like whatever collectively we or whatever have more power than like people in the global South, et cetera, who have been like, who are still just like, still just trying to dig themselves out of the boot of capitalism that they've been like crushed under, um, for such a long time. So like, uh, there is this sense of just like, of just like, like, yeah, like, I've, I felt very, I, f- I felt a lot of kinship with Mary Murphy, who at certain parts just, like, literally has to, like, go into rooms and, like, shout at people to try harder, you know? Like, it's, like, uh, it's great. Anyway. I yeah. really like the sort of, um, like, the aspect of bureaucrats talking to each other and scientists talking to each other and bureaucrats and scientists talking to each other. And um, <laughs> it's because, like, you get pulled along into it, whether you understand or not. And for me, it's often not understanding. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing now, man? Like, what's going on? Like, why can't you... There were you... lots of places where I was like, okay. Like, yeah, I was <laughs> not like... understanding what's going on. And my <laughs> thing with, with Kim Stanley Robinson is generally um, when he's going si- when he's going hard on the science, I kind of, like, glaze over. I'm like, oh, you know? And I'll come back in when he, when he says something that is so beautiful, I can't ignore it, you know? And that happens quite a bit. He's such a gifted writer. And I think that... Um, really you know i i lost all of the glaciers i'm like what why are you pumping the water you want to freeze it here and then you don't want to it i think it's so straightforward and simple like it is not okay so (laughs) take the water so basically like look (laughs) so ice so when the bottom of the glacier is slippery right when it's so when water is melting it goes down just because gravity so now the water's at the bottom of the glacier. All the glacier that is melted, all glacier water that has melted is at the bottom of the glacier. And so because it's at the bottom of the glacier, the glacier is basically sitting on top of a giant puddle. 
And so that means because water is wet and because water is moving, it creates like this like friction and it creates a bit of heat and it speeds up the melting. I understand that. And so the, now the glaciers are sliding down and once the glaciers land and the, once they melt into the water, we'll lose all the coasts, right? Like the, the beaches oh. are fucked. Yes, this I understand. Yeah. And so basically what they do is they, they drill a hole into the glacier and using a pump, they suck the water from the bottom of the glacier to the top. And they pour it on top where it's cold enough that it will freeze. And so they basically do this all around. And this is like a scientific intervention that would slow the sliding of the glaciers. And actually, I I saw something that that said that in real life, Kim Stanley Robinson is actually trying to get scientists to please think about doing this. He's like, I wrote a book. I explained it. I've done the research. Um, But nobody's doing it in real life. I fully understand all that. Well, that's it. That's all I understand. But the minutia of the science is where I get lost. And it gets like... Like when they're talking about like cubic kilometers of water per like hour? I mean, well, this is the thing, right? It's like, I understand the basic principle of why the glaciers are sliding into the ocean. That's bad. I get that. I can read. Um, But... Like, it's it's the sort of, like, they tried this method, then they tried that method, and it didn't work, and it's, like, it's the minutia of it, and it's all of that that totally perplexes me, but at the same point in time gives this sort of, like, plausible, you know, um, like, this plausible amount of research to it, which is just, like, damn. Like he, like, he really put in the time and the effort to do that, and at the same time he has such like a rich character life and indeed like that scientist who just like like, we're gonna do it we're gonna do it we're gonna we got these grant applications we've got it going on like it's gonna be fine and then he just fucking dips yeah but but the glacier stuff is fine and does work out yeah exactly he just dies in freak accident and some people are gonna die and that's part of this book as well is that some people will die and the fear of climate crisis actually has to be instilled in all of the people who are enjoying these like you know like you know, first world luxuries like plane travel and, you know, all of the terrorist actions in the book. And I think it's really important to talk about the larger political spur of what could be going on here, especially because I noticed one day, I noticed one day that like this book is like Barack Obama's like book of the year. Right. (laughs) And I talked about this with Clementine Jay. It's just like all like so much of the terrorism, so much of the pro eco change terrorism in the book is done by drones and like we're already like Barack Obama is like the drone bombing president right and so I feel like there's like this is a particular moment in mm. which like is this capital realism in which Barack Obama I'm like did he read team? it yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah like did he read it like what is he endorsing like what are we supposed to is it is it some bid to say this is actually fiction rather than this could happen right now is it some kind of dissociation from the political climate that we live in. It was also published in 2022. So I mean, 2020 as well. Right. So I think that like there's like this particular moment that is happening in which the political thrust of the book is like extremely poignant. Yeah, I think that like I can always tell whenever I read a sci-fi book that a uh the author has gotten really excited about something and it's just like it's just like pumping through all the specific little minor details about it. And like for me, I'm like that's a point where it drags, but also like it makes sense that this is something that like Kim Stanley Robinson's like, why aren't we doing this? And it's Absolutely. not actually being done yet. It's because he's just like, he's like, I want to show you. I want to exa- do the thing that I talked about, about like, about how like, you're not going to read all the studies that I read. So I'm just going to like, intro- I'm going to like show it to you, like in the way that like, well, you'll actually listen and to And I think there's a piece of this that has to do with the fact that like, 
you know, the people in power, we can't really fucking trust them. And so it doesn't help us to think about climate change in a vague way. Mm. And we do think about climate change and like what to do about it in a vague way because it's very fucking confusing and it involves like a lot of science and it involves a lot of economics and people don't understand. And so like the more that we understand and the more that we can talk about it clearly and specifically, the better we will be at like actually being able to assess whether or not people in power are fucking doing anything or not, right? Totally. And, like, what they could be doing. Like, instead of just being, like, do something about climate change, we can literally be like, yo, so have you guys tried sucking the fucking water out from underneath the glaciers or no? Mm. Like, you know, like, that's actually, like, a concrete thing that that could be done that is not um, being done. I do like the way that they talk continually about the cost, right? Yeah. It's, like, the cost. But the cost of the glaciers, which is what this... Poor deceased Peter, Dr. Peter Griffin does for us. He's like, that's Dr. cheap. Peter Griffin. That's cheap. Yeah. Ten, ten bajillion dollars. That's so cheap. <laughs> like, yeah. to save Co- the com- world? Compared to the cost of, of civilization, which, yeah, yeah they're like, exactly. it's like 20 quadrillion or something, mm-hmm. which is effectively infinite. So they're just like, if it costs less than 20 quadrillion, it's worth it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that also, like, on that bit, too, it's like, not only are, like, the people in power can't necessarily be trusted. And also just like the thing that always bothers me a lot is that people who stand to gain a lot from, or just like are too like lazy and uncreative to like imagine a world that where they, they're, they're not necessarily doing the stuff that is just like status quo or whatever. Like people who are interested in preserving the status quo for whatever reason, the like climate apocalypse status quo are like banking on the idea that people don't understand what they're talking about necessarily. You know, like that's like, that's like the biggest like, that's the most powerful argument. It's just like, no, you're just like actually like silly baby who doesn't know what's going on. I, I also think, guys, that like if if all that detail wasn't there, which honestly also some of the detail like totally went over my head too because mm-hmm. I'm not very like mathy and also especially the economic stuff. I'm like, oh I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> but but like if that wasn't there, I don't think the book would be as effective because yeah, it, would, it would read a lot more as like a fantasy yeah. rather than as like a fucking blueprint exactly. for how to save, exactly. our, save our fucking asses, which is like what makes this book so powerful to me. Yeah. And honestly, it makes me want to start like a fucking political movement based around Kim Stanley Robinson totally, being our, like, our, 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 our lord and leader. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and because like another thing that like made me excited about this book for um for like nativey reasons or whatever is that like is that like one of the, one of the like ways that I have that I'm I is like totally like whatever like cultural stuff or whatever um that I think about let me try that again. <laughs> <laughs> I get awkward when I start talking about being indigenous. I'm like, everyone's going to act weird, but no, uh, no one here is going to act weird. So I, one of the, is that like, I I self conceive as a person who, as like, as a human being, my job is to walk around solving problems, you know, Mm. like that's like in the environment, you know, like that's like one of the ways that I think about it is that like, is that like effective work for a person that like feels good is when you're walking around outside solving little problems, you know, like, and like, like that makes you feel really good. And that's like basically what, like, what like large scale indigenous permaculture has been like for a very long time, you know, like, um, and like, you know, pre-contact when everyone showed up and they were just like, oh, this is totally like this by accident and it's Costco. Woo. And it's like, no, no, large scale, like 13,000 year long permaculture project, you know, like, and like, um, and like what I think is cool about this is it's not just like one of the things that would drive me crazy when I was a tree planter and I would talk about how I'm just like, I'm like, I don't know, this is like, doesn't feel like doing nothing. And like, I, like, it like obviously looks like it doing something, you know, cause it's like these trees are not naturally regenerating, but they're also like preventing soil erosion and they're going to like, they're going to sequester a ton of carbon before they get cut down again, even though I am planting tree farms or whatever. It's people just being like, well, it's not going to, it's not, you know, we should just be leaving the forest alone. And I'm like, I'm like to a certain extent, yes, but also like, we like this book is full of interventions, basically people just uh-huh. being like, being like, we 
fuck this up. Like, we can't actually just, like, lie down and let the environment take care of itself because we're not in the environment. You know, like, in scare quotes, we're in the Anthropocene. You know, like, it's like we have changed everything so much that, like, we have to try things and intervene in the world around us. And that means, like... They're spraying chemicals into the sky in order to like try to like prevent the like the 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 temperature from going up and, and they're like, like dyeing the ocean yellow. They're dyeing yeah. the ocean yellow. They're like they're like yeah they're sequestering carbon in really weird ways. They're like they're they're drilling holes into glaciers to try to like pump water out of the bottom of the glacier. It's like people just being like they're bombing planes. They're bombing planes. Which, they're giving we, all the cows we, mad cow disease. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about some of those steps involved? Because like basically like um for those who haven't read the book like. You know, yeah, so there's, like, UN people talking about carbon coins and carbon taxes and all that. And then in the background, there is, like, a massive campaign of terrorism um, by, like, people around the world who are, like, we need to end certain things such as fishing entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Flying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> airplanes. Almost, almost airplanes. entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, airplanes in particular. Because Sally Robinson is really into Zeppelins, which I think is great. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I was in the bath when I read the Zeppelin part and the Zeppelins get introduced. And I was just, like... Hell yeah! Like, you know, from yeah, the that dope. But yeah, so, I mean, and, and also, like, there's, like, assassinations mm-hmm. and, like, all kinds of shit. And, like, um... 80% yeah, of the world's cows get, like, killed in a few weeks, with, like, because they get, like, like given all mad cow disease at the same time, you or know? The, well, there's the, a the, threat the, of the industry gets, like, right, ended, right. yeah. 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 Um, what did you guys think of all the terrorism? And how do you think it fits into... I don't know. It's interesting that he that he throws all that in, you know, because he's like trying to write this kind of like reasonable book about like um, realistic solutions, and then he's like, well, also, frankly, terrorism. You know, mm. thoughts? Yeah, I like a lot of thoughts, and like when the terrorism started, I was like, well, yeah, because like I really feel like as because India is is a world leader in this book from the very beginning. India starts the revolution on a certain front and there's like there's a short chapter where a pilot who's going up and spraying all these chemicals into the sky to stop another heat wave from happening he's just like or she's just like the gender isn't revealed um they just say they don't understand because they're not from india you know we'll do whatever it takes and that's kind of the idea that emerges as the background of the terrorist organization that you know frank may tries to join um to do something different and like I think, like, we're talking about, like, luxury problems to have and people not understanding, like, oh, it'll be bad when it happens to other people and it's not going to happen to us. But when air travel is stopped because, you know, like, 60% of the planes in the sky get brought down one day, it is it is a concrete effect that people would feel, you know, when when all of the cows, when it's released as a widespread broadcast that all of these cows have been infected with mad cow disease, which will manifest in 10 years or whatever, that's when the beef industry, like, like stops at a standstill. And later on in the book, it's, it's really interesting because it really, it really feels like this sort of perfect explanation of where we are in capitalism is, like, there's a beef burger, like, they're talking about eating burgers or veggie burgers, right, so beef burgers when the, your beef package says guaranteed safe with a tiny waiver printed in microscopic font on the bottom of, of the label is there, right? And I feel like we're living in those times, right? <laughs> we have this waiver on all of our food, well, or we should, you know, that it's filled with poison, that it's filled with all of this stuff. And on an individual level, it's almost impossible to grasp. It, it, feels, it feels insurmountable. And like with these acts of terrorism, yeah, people die. Absolutely. But the first people that the children of Kali go for, which that's the terrorist organization, there are these like giant 
you know, like billionaires. Exactly. Like, yeah. like these, yeah. are, these are people at the tops of organizations who are just unequivocally evil, right? It's like, you know, and I think that's where a lot of the rage goes to, right? And that's like, um, it's an organized and shady way to do it, but it is actually in the book extremely effective. And I think that's talking about why humans resort to violent coups in a certain way and yeah. why this is how some of the stuff gets done throughout history, right? But it's also, um, you know, it's a way for him to put that rage somewhere. I think that also there's this, like, uh, I think in the book, the terrorism and the violence generally sort of, like, serves as a kind of, like, deus ex machina or whatever, you know, like, where it's, like, the, like, uh, an accelerant that, like, makes the rest mm. of the stuff, like, first of all, feel a bit more real, and second of all, like, like, just shoves everything along a bit faster, you know, like, when something needs to get... Because like because it's because and I think the 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 thing being presented is that like slow gradual change is not going to change anything quick enough and like we like which is not to say that we shouldn't do it not we shouldn't like we shouldn't like you know continue to apply the like proper you know um, like whatever like within the realm of the of the law like stuff to like actually fix it but it's just like the um, but like yeah I just got more of that like about like at this point all methods are kind of like you know like all the tools are on the table you know like let's like let's try what works at this point. Um, and, like, I think a lot about how, like, I, this is something that I have thought about already independently and I think is in the book, that, like, um, something terrible and violent happens uh, that affects a bunch of people who matter and are people, you know, and, like, people are just kind of, like, out of empathy for it, you know? Like, they're just mm-hmm. kind of, like, and I've, I've thought about this a lot about how sometimes I think that, like, empathy is a, like, renewable but also, like, limited resource where, like, after a while I'm kind of, like, like, I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. Well, you know, like, it's, like, by the, you know, like, and, like, there's a, there's a point of, like, where I get, like, I personally, at least, get to a point where I'm, like, I'm so exhausted that I'm just kind of, like, I'm kind of, like, well, we, you know, like, like, we were, we were all reading the same, like, news reports and studies, et cetera, you know, like, we've known about, we've known what we had to do for a long time at this point, like, should I get off the pot, you know, like, um, but, like, uh, but, yeah, I don't know, I'm also a bit of, like, an eco-terrorism apologist in general, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like a big question in this book is like what do you do when there's people who have so much power and they run the world and they have a monopoly on violence and they have a monopoly on force you know and like how how many meetings do you have like to try to convince people to care about the literal end of the world um at a certain point like I mean I guess like part of what they're doing is they're this book is pointing out that what those people are doing is violence and what those people are doing is genocide Mm -hmm. like they're actually producing mass death and they're going to keep producing more of it and so in a certain way this is a form of intervention because it's like we've asked you to stop Mm -hmm. (laughs) we've like it's clear that you have to stop you have to stop and you're not stopping and And people are dying and people are dying and they're going to keep dying in like epic proportions so like at a certain point you know, force has to meet force. And like, you know, I'm very pacifist in my political leanings. So, you know, I struggle with that. But at the same time, I do see what he's saying where it's like, are these guys going to fucking listen? Are these people with all this power going to listen? Or are they going to keep doing what they're doing, even though they know that they can't and people are going to keep dying, you know? So, um, one of the things that I think is weird about it is more so just how I'm like, this book is promoting terrorism. (laughs) Um, and is anyone noticing this? Because it's like, it's like, 
it's weird to me that it's just like sold in bookstores and it's like a popular book and like Barack Obama is like, it's my favorite book of the year. And it's a book that highly promotes terrorism. Yeah. yeah. Like, like terrorism's like straight up legit in this book. It's like, it's like the whole thing wouldn't work without terrorism. Yeah. And the, the main character, the UN lady, you know, like she grapples with it. Right. And at first she's sort of like disgusted by the idea, but then later on, like, it's funny, like she gets kidnapped yeah. and then she's sort of like, wow, like maybe we do need to be doing more, you know? And then she has a conversation with her sort of like second in command guy. Who's already and, doing and, it. And she's like, maybe we should have like a black ops wing. And he's like, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. And then she's sort of like, again, and then she's disgusted by the reality of it because she's like, you know, she's like, you can't just break the law and murder people to get what you want, you know? And she's also like, she's like, I'm Irish, you know, like violence doesn't fucking solve anything. Yeah. It just creates these like waves and waves, these, uh, these, these cycles of more and more violence, you know? And then he's like, well, you know, I'm from Nepal. And, you know, violence got us, like, a Maoist government that that kind of is doing all right and, yeah. and saved a lot of peasants from, like, a lot of, you know, suffering, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and so they have this discussion with terrorism, which, again, is, like, a classic KSR thing where, like, two characters debate about a topic and then they come to a kind of synthesis, right? Mm. Um, and, and she comes to kind of accept the necessity of certain forms of political violence yeah. um, in order to speed along things that, like, absolutely have to happen and yeah. that there is no other way to make it happen, you mm. know? And it's just, like, so obvious and clear that they have to happen that there's no... That you can't even really debate it, you know? And it is fascinating that this book is being sold yeah, to bookstores always, because it's fully promoting terrorism. Yeah, and, like, I'm always like, haha, for all the little people listening in our phones, we're joking, we're not actually suggesting anything like that. Yeah. But I'm like, this book is... Literally suggesting this and is being sold at like all the major bookstores. So I, I wonder how it is that like capitalism is just sort of like allowing this. I guess they're sort of like this is a fun fantasy. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's like, a fiction. I think it's like whenever I write anything that I don't want to be fully responsible for, I'm just like let's not let's not like you know mix up the writer and the, the thing that they write. You know, mix an art and the artist. You like, know, and I'm like, but then in my head, I'm just kind of like, but I totally meant it. You know, like yeah, like it's like I think the fact that it is being a science fiction nonfiction book, you know, is like kind of like well you know the only part that might put me in jail is fiction then you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> i would also like to point out that this point in history that we're living through um terrorism is used to to be like a, a, a generalized statement for any group that is acting out in their own service or in the service of uh, like other human beings yeah it's only terrorism if it doesn't work it, it's <laughs> only it, <laughs> It's only terrorism if it's against, like, a huge power, like, yeah. often. And, in fact, that we're seeing that specifically right now with what's going on in Palestine, right? It's, like, a lot of arguments that I hear um, that are, you know, quote-unquote pro-Israel are saying, like, oh, it's a terror. Hamas is a terrorist group. And I think the idea of terrorism... Like, yes, absolutely, it's people, like, act, acting with force, like, without government and, like, uh, and it's opposing to governments. But I do think that the word terrorism, like, the war on terror, all of these For things sure. are being classified as terrorism to protect, like, ruling interests. So, yeah, absolutely, it's eco-terrorism and, like, people die. Although, it does say in the book, like, the organization is talking about, like, uh, you know... They try to protect civilians. They try to protect stuff, civilians yeah. as much as possible if they can't do it. Yeah. In the beginning, if they can't um, avoid killing innocents, they don't do it. But then that has to be eschewed for, like, larger purposes. And, like, what you're saying, DJ, is really true because it's, like, why is it that, like, for example, like, the Palestinians are being framed as being terrorists, but then Israel is not being considered to be terrorists for what they're doing? And in this, in this book, it's, like, okay, while 
uh, can we understand capitalists who continue to burn fossil fuels and continue to invest in all these things as terrorists? Because they literally are terrorizing us. Yeah. And like what they are doing is like violent. What they are doing is often illegal. Um, and what they are doing results in mass death and like huge amounts of suffering. So like, also, are they not terrorists? Like, no, they're killing yeah, themselves. It's, 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 always, it's always a matter of who has institutional power. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the yeah. definition of like whether you're a freedom fighter or a terrorist, basically. You know. Yeah, um, it's also it makes me think about how like how like the public imagination is always shifting and changing. You know, and like how people like popularly refer like like us, you know, relate to certain ideas is different, and like. I don't think that we have the same relationship to terrorism post war on the war on terror as we did before or even exactly, during, yeah. you know, or it's just kind of like that, like that didn't fucking work, you know, like, and like, and I think that from, for at least from my bubble where I'm looking around, like, I don't know anyone who thinks that it was like ineffective thing. Like everyone's like everyone that I know, especially everyone who's like maybe a generation older than me. I mean, it completely failed on every level. Yeah. Their perspective on their perspective on like what constitutes terrorism and like what the appropriate response to to terrorism is is like different you know like and like whatever even joe biden said that where he was like you know like it was just kind of like let's not repeat the same mistakes that we made like after 9-11 is like one of the things that he's been like he has said like in in relate like in relationship to the whole situation in palestine currently so it's like um there is a bit of there's a little teeny weeny bit of like of like self-reflection and like you know like looking at oneself a little mm. bit um and uh yeah, anyway, I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> okay, I have a couple more questions from, for you guys from the questions list. Um, were there any uh, passages or parts that stood out to you in particular that, like, provoked any particular, like, strong emotional reactions in you? And uh, what were they, if so? I actually liked the parts where they were, like, he was speaking as non-humanities, probably because I'm a poet, and it's a joke that, like, don't let the poets get um, close to the, the, the scientific stuff, because we're just going to write crappy poems about them and we won't stop and like we'll never stop you know um so I like those parts those parts like felt like it because it, it's like it I the the effect that it had on me was like making me feel closer to the world just in general you know like and I, I love I'm a huge sucker for anything like that that like you know like makes me feel connected to the world around me especially because climate change is such a massively alienating like uh thing and like the the feeling of helplessness in relation to climate change is such a such a massively alienating thing and i feel so frequently like um like people are doing it because they feel fundamentally separate from like the world around them or something in some like major way and like and i so anything that like effectively brings me closer to it to the world around me like that i love that so like um, I like that I was relating to a photon because it was speaking with, like, I pronouns, etc. Um, but, yeah, other people? Um, I mean, this is not really... This is sort of an answer to this question, but it's kind of more an answer to the question that was before that I didn't get to say, so I'm going to say it. <laughs> um, like, one of the things for me is that... Okay, so, basically, you know, being millennials, I feel like we grew up at, like, the end of history. Like, when we were growing up, when we were kids... We were in this time where it was like, you know, people were talking about the greenhouse effect or like like early understandings of climate change, but it was still like relatively new. Like we knew like extinction was happening and like we knew there was these certain things, at least from my childhood, that mm-hmm. was like hovering around. But there was still this idea that like our lives were going to be like our parents' lives. You know, like when I grew up, I was basically taught that like the future is progressing forward and it will continue to be positive. It will continue to get better. And then as we got older, that turned out to be a lie. Yeah. And things got worse and worse. And then we basically are, like, standing, like, right right at this, like, edge of 
like behind us was like that dream of like, you know, like the modern world and like progress and like, and then ahead of us is like apocalyptic collapse, you know, and we're like right in the middle of that. And I think that a lot of people feel a lot of grief about the futures that we thought we would have Mm. that we aren't going to have. Like even just like economically, like, you know, like if we grew up middle class, you know, we're like, damn, like what, what our parents had as like middle class people is not what we would fucking have if we can manage to like claw our way to the middle class. Like we won't be able to have like a house or like basic things that were like considered kind of more normal to, to dream of are now considered like fucking extreme luxuries for, for a great many people, you know? Things have just been getting really fucking bad and they continue to get really fucking bad. And so there's a lot of grief where it's like, you know, the... The like you know when you when you go through like a breakup, you're not just grieving the relationship, but you're grieving the future that you thought you would have. Mm. You know, and a lot of grief has to do with like the future that you thought you would have. And I think there's like a lot of debilitating grief that people who grew up in that previous world are experiencing in the sense that like we aren't going to have that future and we don't know what fucking future we're gonna have, and it's probably gonna be really bad. Yeah. Um, if it's even gonna be anything. Like, will I be 80? What the fuck is gonna happen when I'm 80? Like, is that Am I going to be, like, hobbling about with, like, fucking, will there be water to drink? Like, is there going to be, like, mass, like, like conflict all around me? Like, what's going to be happening, you know? And so, you know, that kind of fear and that kind of, like, grief, I think, is really overwhelming. And what this book does, especially, like, in the second half, when when it kind of moves out of the, the stuckness that we are in, because I, I think it does a really good job of showing that stuckness of, like, everybody knows they should be doing something, but what are we supposed to be doing? And there's no movement happening. Then it kind of passes a tipping point into, like, movement is happening, and there's, like, a bunch of different projects that are taking off, and there's a bunch of different successes that are happening, and we're starting to, like, usher in a new world. And, like, as we said, he's, like, extremely hopeful in that. Um... And there's, like, scenes and passages that are about this new world that is being brought in and, like, the like the half-Earth project where, like, there's, like, massive rewilding that's happening and, like, massive land is, like, being given back to, like, ecosystems and animals and, like, you know, um, they're the... Um, like the zeppelins, which are like airships, like one of the one of the grief feelings that I have about climate change is like, um, will we not be able to travel anymore? Because planes are fucking not sustainable. We shouldn't even be flying now. You know, it's like it's actually insane that we're flying now. And but then it's like, does that mean we can't travel? But then he's like, oh well, do you guys remember airships? And like, and so like this idea that we could still travel, but like it would be in this different, slower way, but not even that much slower. You could still travel, like you know, across the ocean in like a week or something, which is fucking cool. Yeah. Also like more time in a freaking Zeppelin. It sounds sick. <laughs> sounds really cool. And so it actually like opens up this like possibility of like this other future that is actually really fucking beautiful and really fucking cool. And like, it's like, instead of feeling like we just lost that future that we thought we were going to have, it gives this new vision of like, we're actually at a turning point and our job is to usher in this new future and it's going to be really fucking hard, but it's like the most meaningful work a person could ever hope to do, yeah. you know? Totally, and totally. like when, when you were talking about, you know, the girl who's like in her kayak and like she, she like is an aspiring actor who works at, as a waitress and she's super fucking alienated, but then she's like doing this like rescue work and she suddenly feels human again. Like on a larger scale like the work of ushering this in you know he talks about like the earth like being sick 
and like getting better and like human beings actually taking part in the work of like helping the earth to heal. And then we, through that, like return to our humanness, yeah, you know? Totally. Yeah. I think a lot about, about the difference between, like, I don't know. I think a lot about the concept of like disappointment. I don't know. I, Cause I was, I was like interviewing my dad actually for like a, uh, a, this grant application for a memoir that I, we want to write with, like I'm going to write for him. Um, and like, the term he used for like when my mother died was like disappointment. And I remember like sitting with that and like holding it and being like, being like, that doesn't seem like a hard enough word for it, you know? But then I was like, the more I thought about it, he was like, yeah, there's this whole, like, I thought I was going to get a future with this person and I'm not going to get it, you know? Like, and that was like how I was. And suddenly it was like this, like complete 180 of just basically being like, this is my life now. And it's totally different than the life that I thought I was going to have. And like, that's absolutely 100% how I feel when I look at the future where I'm just kind of like, there was something I was planning for and assuming that I was going to get to have. And I, maybe I should, um, learn how to be a park ranger instead. (laughs) You know, like, it's like that, like that kind of thing where it's like, I don't know what, like, like, I'm like, I don't know, it's like the one particular thing that I was really good at. And like, you know, like, and it's like, it's, you know, arts and entertainment related is now the time, you know, like maybe I should be, mm. maybe I should keep planting trees. But like, First of all, yeah. yes, it is the time. There's <laughs> always a time for art because art also keeps us human. But like, even that girl, like taking her kayak through the now total lake of LA, mm-hmm. which is totally destroyed in the book. I do want to tell everybody that. And everybody like rejoices because they're like, oh, yeah, nobody cares like, about LA. Like, nobody nobody cares about LA. Kind of like, well, we like, ca- California barely cares about <laughs> LA, which is like wild, you know? But and, they're all like, oh no, we have to rebuild LA. Like, they're like, but like at the very end of that chapter she says this is meaningful next time what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna make my life more meaningful Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as in this is the next cycle yeah and like when this comes around again i'm gonna change what i do to make it actually be human yeah the the other part that like the other part that really got me was when all of the cowboys buffalo boys are like they're like there's this they they have they have basically there's a scene of this like incredible gigantic herd of buffalo being herded into this like half earth thing like to rewild Mm -hmm. with all these other like wild animals along this big corridor and they like they like meet resistance basically where like a bunch of people who are just who are like we're like no change bad are like like stop to like stop them from coming in and it's just and they're like what's the perfect photo op for this and they just so they just get a bunch of cowboys and they're bringing in all of these wild (laughs) animals and i was just like it was like so sick it was so cool um and uh yeah the idea that also there can be these like opportunities for like triumph and fun and like Mm. whatever too and like the future as well is like this totally new future so yeah i mean this is not an answer to the question that i asked but like it's just just riffing like it reminds me of okay so i'm gonna try to explain this this thought there's this thing that kim stanley robinson talks about um a bunch in the mars trilogy and in some of his other books and it's definitely like a big part of this book too although he, I don't think he mentions this specifically in this in this book but it's this idea that every like time period has the sort of like roots of the period before mm. it and like the nucleus of the period after it yes like contained within it um and so to try to like explain that it's sort of like you know people people like like during like world war ii era or whatever world war one you know like the the beginning of the 20th century like they were they were like feudal people with like modern technology right you know their 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 minds were still stuck in these kind of like feudal like ways of thinking about the world but they had like guns and tanks you know yeah and it resulted in fucking world war ii right Mm -hmm. and world war one um and then we are kind of like modern people with like 
postmodern like we're with like future technology mm. you know like we we're we're still stuck in like world war ii era yeah. like thinking but we have the internet yeah you know? yeah and, and like ai and stuff and, the, AI. and yeah we're inventing ai and stuff you know the people who run the world currently right now grew up using typewriters mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know what i mean and like right. note cards that they Are had we in boxes, failed boomers you know <laughs> um and but we have now we have ai and the, the internet and so he's sort of like well what is the next stage going to look like you know it'll be it'll be people with it'll be future people basically so how do we make future people how do we make the future you know mm-hmm. how do we become future people um, and I love this way of thinking about the world, you know, and it, it's quite Marxist in that mm-hmm. it's kind of like teleological in a certain way where it's sort of like we're moving towards something yeah. more and better and like better developed and whatever. Um, it's kind of modernist in that way. Um, but it's not stuck in a kind of like Marxist analysis of, of like feudalism, capitalism, something better, you know, although it is like a little bit like that, you know, but he's basically like the something other, the something better does not necessarily have to be like a Marxist Leninist economy, you know, but because He's in a certain way, and this is something I admire about him. He's sort of like Marxist Leninism. It's not that it's bad or anything, but that is a system that was invented by modern people. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And they didn't know what would happen next. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and so they were trying to come up with the best thing they could, but they they were dealing, they were trying to like um, do central planning with like rooms full of girls on typewriters. Yeah. Instead of AI, you know, they had they had no chance basically mm-hmm. <laughs> um, at, at building what they wanted to build, and and they tried their best, but it it, it didn't work out super duper well, you know. Um, and yeah, I like the way that he's like, once we figure out how to shift things away from the current kind of system that we're all trapped in, um, we are not going to be living in poverty in the next phase of humanity. We're going to be living in plenty, Mm -hmm. but we're also going to be living on a greener earth that is, you know, more sustainable, that has more wild animals in it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not that we, it's not that like when we stop, uh, being able to fly in planes, we're poorer. You know, we have something else. We have something new. We have, like, more time to travel, perhaps. You know what I mean? So that the idea of taking a week to cross the ocean is not, like, a ridiculous impossibility. It's, like, a nice thing that you get to do because you have more time off from work, for example, you know? Um, And anyways, yeah. And, and, you know, he points out that, like, if if we divide every – all assets on Earth by the number of people on Earth, people are okay. They're, yeah, that they're, was, they're not poor. You that know? was so sick. When they were, they were like, "Yeah, well, if everyone just got paid the same amount, it'd be like what, like a hundred thousand dollars a year." And I was like, "What? <laughs> yeah, and that's so, awesome! <laughs> like, I'm never exactly, gonna make a hundred thousand exactly. dollars a year." And, and he's sort of and he's pointing out very convincingly, you know, <laughs> that the, the issue is not that we don't have enough; it's that there's there's like a handful of people who have just a stupendously ridiculous amounts of money and power that they don't do not yeah. they, they do not need, and it's actively harming the the capacity of the earth to like sustain life. It's actually also like the. the I think that was great, which is, this is like, this is like research that I already knew about, but I was excited to see it put into play. It's also actively harming them. Like, yeah, like when yes. talking about how like rich yeah. people are miserable, yeah, like they're, they're miserable. Unhappy, yeah. They're extremely, extremely, extremely unhappy. Oh, the, the Davos like, conference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes. yeah. And like, and like, it's just, it's just, it's not good for you to like have everything you want, you know? Like, I don't know. Like, it's like, that's actually like not. And also like, like their, their kids are all like on a million antidepressant medications and like whatever. And like, they're like, everyone's sad. Like, you know, like basically there's like a, point life gets better and better and better the more money you have and then there's a point where it abruptly drops off you know like yeah. and then your life gets like crappy and bad and like uh i don't know as anyone who's like been to like creepy rich people's houses it's very 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 clear there you're just like this is not a place of honor you know like yeah. this is like people are unhappy here but like um and i thought that was like really cool too where it's just like it's like there's gonna be a, there's gonna be a period of disappointment a period of adjustment but like 
being addicted to convenience because you have everything you want is not a good thing. You know, like it's not good for you. You're going to feel better when like when things adjust a little bit, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. I do like the, the like, I was going to, I was going to try and t- come in when we have more time to travel. Um, but yeah, like this idea of convenience, getting everything you want when you want it. Like we don't need that. And what in fact we need is like a healthy alternative. And you know, a lot of, a lot of what we talk about comes back to 12 steps sometimes, but like they do talk about like inventing a new religion or reinvigorating ideas around like the sort of the, the, the wild world itself. And I think that there's a lot of that in it, but I also, what I, I truly love about this book is that it doesn't stick to like Marxist dogma. Like it actually doesn't stick to feudalism, capitalism, then something better. What it does is it, it upcycles what we have now. It takes bureaucratic systems that sort of half work and then adds a black off swing to make it fully work, you know, in terms of changing the climate or trying to reverse some of our immense and imminent climate crisis. And what it also does and what Clementine was talking about would like, you're really right about in terms of like this sort of, you know, it's not going to be the future that we thought about. And I had this really intense memory of the body shop. Do you remember the body shop yeah, from malls yeah. and like their gorilla shaped soaps and stuff <laughs> and all of the endangered speed. Like that was yeah. what it was. It was like this gross environmental yeah. capitalist realism in which like we were sold endangered species soaps yeah. in the mall. Yeah. And we all had like stickers for kids for saving earth or whatever. Yeah. And this was, this is like the nineties childhood, yeah. you know, cause Clementine <laughs> and I are quite close in age. Yeah. Um, and, like, what KSR does is that instead of being, like, it's all dooms and glooms, he does talk about dirigitals and airships and, like, travel in that way. And when they talk about um, changing to ocean liners for travel, I found that really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these, like, super they fast took ocean all liners. all these, yeah. like, crazy big shipping containers, which were no longer allowed to be used yeah. for, like, giant shipping. And they chopped them up and they made them work. And really what he's doing is he's taking all of these ideas for existent technology that we have, existent bureaucracy that we have, and, like, actually yeah. making it useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One one thing about that with the, like, the dogma, because I feel like when you talk to leftists, you know, we have, like, the tankies and we have the anarchists and, like, we have people who, everybody has, like, a plan for, like, how it would be if everybody listened to them. Yes. Yeah. Like, and so... And it's just like, wow, that sounds great, but you're not in charge, unfortunately. So none of us are. So how how are we going to implement this, right? And that it always it leaves us stuck because we don't know how to work in the world that we actually live in, right? And what I like about this book is that it's so fucking realistic in terms of he's dealing with this world and he's dealing with capitalism. Like, yeah. it's not like, okay, well, like once... Like, next year. Yeah, it's not like, okay, now... Like, because so many, like, leftists want to like do this like top down approach mm. where they want to imagine this perfect society and then they are like that's where we need to be but they have no idea how we get there you know and for him he's like okay i actually want to start from from where we actually are and the current circumstances no matter how fucked up they are this is really what it is these people really do have that power and they really do like control the world so how are we going to get them to change and he's like might be a little bit of murder going on yeah also also like we're going to have to talk their language and we're going to have to actually convince them that it's actually good for money yeah we have to to save save money that was like really so interesting like money only works if people trust it you know like if it's like if you can like trust money and right now nobody we can't trust money that's like the problem with money currently is that like it's like we can't trust it you know like and also like what happens when the disasters start to happen and then we can trust money even less you know like is it just going to be like 
anyway, so it's just, that's, it's a very, it's a really smart solution to that. I also think it's like that also mirrors this thing of just basically being like, there is no one silver bullet, you know, like it's no, yeah. there's no like one, it's no. not that like, you know, your specific, you know, group of undergraduate students are all going to like, going to start a, you know, like an anarchist yeah. government. And like, like it's that, cause like that wouldn't actually solve every single problem in the entire planet because you haven't thought of it, you know, cause you're just a small group of people, you know, like it's not like, like every single way of throwing problems at this it like there, we can take what works, you know, yeah, and we it's can also that choosy. top down approach. Yeah. Everything would work if you listen to me. Yeah. No, that's just creating another dictator. Yeah. A, a fantasy dictator. A fantasy dictator. But you're not like, actually in charge. Yeah. But like what would happen if one person was in charge? Like that's, that's insane. And yeah. it wouldn't work and it would eventually become extremely corrupted. And that's why like all of these moving pieces in this book, like all of the different sort of governments working and even, you know, he starts from a very like feasible moment of like this, Paris Agreement, you know, this is not so fiction, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, talking about how it was kind of a joke at the start, and then it had to get serious. Mm -hmm. And we have to get serious, and we have to be talking about this as though it's not like, fantasy talk, and Uh it's not top-down, and it's not, like, a perfect utopian society. So, my last question for everybody is one that I'm going to answer first. Um, (laughs) Because I have have some things to say. But basically, it's just like, did this book, like, change your mind about anything, you know? And I think that what you guys have all just been talking about is something that really came through for me, like, reading the book. It's, It's that, like, I had already been on this path where I was sort of like, I don't care about being kind of, like, ideologically pure. Yeah. I care about living in reality and, like, trying to get where we're going, you know? Um, I we'll want... get there on the train. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, I had already been on this path of sort of, like, trying to, trying to think about pragmatic ways to, like, get what we want, you know? Um, and this book really solidified that for me. Like, I think, like... And, and to the point where I, I became very annoyed at people who were not pragmatic, you know? Um, because I was just like, we do not have a choice but to live in the world that we live in, you know? And we cannot necessarily wait for the perfect revolutionary opportunity to overthrow every government in the world, yeah, at you the know, same time. at the same time. <laughs> yeah. right? um, and it's like, even if like through some amazing sort of like accident of history, like we, we, me and Tara and Clementine and DJ take over Canada, um, you know, and, and become the new, like, revolutionary Politburo, um, there's still America, you know, it's just like... <laughs> you know. Here to spoil the party again. Yeah, and, and like, we, we have to sort of, like, deal with this. And, like, something in the book, and I'm getting to something, something in the book that, when I first read it, made me, like, want to, like, throw up, um, but then I was like, wow, I think that we actually literally have to do this. Um, is where they're just like, we're going to pay wealthy countries to keep their oil in the ground. Yes. And of course, like every cell of your body is like, no, like America should be paying everybody else, you know? The fucking Saudis should be paying everybody else. They should be paying reparations, you know, for what they've done. And then it's like, yep, they're not going to, though. So, You know, they're fucking not going to. And because they control everything. And Mm -hmm. like the only way, the only way that these fucking people will keep oil in the ground is if you pay them to do it. Yeah, you know? and then they're literally like like fighting to do it fastest, right? And then like even if they were trying to still sell their assets, they were becoming more and more useless and more and more worthless. Yeah, yeah, it's like you know you need the carrot and the stick, and and like this this carrot that they come up with this in this book. I mean, part of it is yeah, like it's just paying the Americans and the Saudis and us, you know, Canada to keep fossil fuels in the fucking ground, even though we already have all the money. Yeah, we're the wealthiest economies in the world, you know. 
Um, and poor countries are basically paying us to keep our money or to keep our oil in the ground. But it's just like, if the economic system has not been changed in time to, uh, you know, set up a different logic in which it would make sense to keep oil in the ground, then, then we need to like, within the economic system that we currently have, like set up these mechanisms to, to force it to stay in the ground, mm -hmm. you know? Totally. And, and like, it's simply a fact that the people who run the world are not going to just pass laws outlawing, um, the extraction of oil, but like this, this carbon coin idea might work, you know, and, and this book like made me accept that idea as at least like a, a possibility just because it's realistic. You know? There's, there's this thing that we talk about on this podcast often where like in social justice culture, there's this attitude of like, but I shouldn't have to, you oh. know, like this obsession with like, like a fantasy justice world where mm -hmm. like, I shouldn't like, that's bad. So we shouldn't have to do it. So therefore we won't do it. And it's like, okay, but that's not reality. Like reality is this and what, and there are certain things that we should not have to do that we might have to do if we actually want to change things. So yeah. yeah. And the, the stakes are just so horrifying Yeah. that like we, we don't really have the time or wiggle room to fuck around very yeah. much, you know? Um, yeah. And I don't know, this book does a really great job of like showing you the stakes and they're like really horrifying, you know? And it's just like, it's also stuff that people don't necessarily think about very much. And like, I want to like grab people and like shake them when they're like, well, global warming is like, it's not even like real. Blah, blah, blah. Cause I'm like, even if it's fucking not, like, even if it's fucking not, but it obviously it's, is. it's it obviously <laughs> fucking is, but like, even if it's not, it's like the, the mass extinctions of yes. the animals are clearly real. Yeah. yeah. Like, and if there are yeah. no fucking like insects left, like what the fuck do you think we're going to do? Mm -hmm. Like, we're all going to die. You think we can live without bees? You think you, cause we can't, you know? No. And it's like, and, and even that aside, it's like the other thing that people don't think about is the fucking sea level rise. Yeah. And like, this is something that he talks about a lot in this book, you know, it's like, it's like, everyone's like, okay, well, if it gets a bit warmer, like it's probably going to be fine. Maybe there's going to be weird weather, you know? But it's like, he's like, yes. Okay. Or, uh, hundreds of meters of sea level rise will com completely destroy like 90% of like human civilization. Cause it's all on the fucking coast. Yeah. Especially yeah. cause like, I don't know, uh, the, like, every single new report like the climate the un climate report this year really like put a freaking cold rock in my stomach you know like i felt like i was i felt like sick to my stomach for days because just like every single one of our projections is also just like has been, has been like wrong it's happening way faster than we thought yeah. it would happen you know yes. like, so it's like we were we've been trying to prevent 1.5 degrees but we thought that we had like 20 or 30 more years it was 1.48 degrees this like 2023 yeah. that yeah. just happened and it's like we have 0.2 degrees left like you know like that's really a problem was we know 0 0.02 degrees you know like that's yeah. like how much wiggle room we have currently and it's like before like really 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 bad shit starts happening so it's like there's like a i think that also because like there are there's some ways in which climate change has we have made a lot of gains you know like in that i do want to say that that is also a thing like there's like there's been there like, some problems have been like mitigated to a like a great since like since we first started like realizing this was a problem but it's just, it's not happening fast enough, you know, like, because like, like, remotely, like you know, yeah. yeah, we were trying to prevent it for like, for a while, it looked like it was gonna be like 11 degrees of like warming or whatever. And now we're trying to keep cap it at like 1.5, you know, like, so it's like, that's like that. Those are like, just like different degrees of dead. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, 1.5 is a degree of dead, you know? So it's like, we've got to like, we've, yeah, anyway. And yeah, just, did, like, the book, did the book change your guys' minds about anything? Um, I think that it made me more excited about the idea of interventions you know like i don't know interventions make me feel good i think we should intervene you know like i think that we have an obligation to intervene actually you know like as human i think that's what people do that's like i think a th thing that people do we walk around solving problems we like don't get to just kind of be like okay well let's stop touching it and that like that will solve the problem it's like no we have to like we have to keep fiddling but fiddle in a different direction um 
and I'm like pro fiddling in a different direction and like pro trying our best, even if there are going to potentially be like effects that we should, you know, control for and like, you know, get, get ready to also solve when that happens. Um, cause I think it's just like, also just like one of the biggest, like, uh, doomer arguments for a lot of climate stuff is just like, well, we, how, what do we even do? Cause we don't know what the effects of the things that we're going to do are. And I'm just like, we never do. We you live out. in reality and like you live in the present currently. You can't, you actually can't tell the future, you know, like, you got to just do stuff. And, hope and like, you can make predictions. It's like scientists are like, you can make predictions and you can like try something that has some risk. Yeah. We're not completely yeah. shooting. Yeah. The dark, man. Like, it's like, you know, like it's like we're, we're there's actually a lot of really fucking smart. Well, yeah, it's like when he, talks <laughs> like, about, when he talks about the glaciers, he's like, you know, what possible like bad outcomes are there of like pumping water from under a glacier and putting it on top of the glacier? There's none. Like, yeah. Nothing bad could happen. And there are other <laughs> interventions in the book where there yeah. could be some bad yeah. and they don't necessarily know what's going to happen. But when they're doing like cost benefit analysis, they're like, we still need to do this. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like dying the ocean yellow yeah. and stuff. Like yeah. there was like, well, this one is mildly poisonous so we can all, this one's cancerous, and, you know, yeah, but yeah. like yeah, they yeah. have to stop like the oceans from warming yeah. and like that's, you know, there are a lot of things that don't get like solved yeah. in the book. And I think that's especially, you know, it's, it's part of it. It's part of a long, long journey and like the intertwined lives of like Mary Murphy and Frank May, like really, for me, really drove it. And like, I thought it was actually kind of a beautiful opus on how like two people can actually make differences when you look at individual actions. Yes, they can absolutely make a difference. And I also... Some like, of those, like, but why do you live in prison? But it's fine. Maybe yeah. it'll be a nice Swiss prison. You I know? mean, that's it. And like the prison, the prison. Okay, can we get into that? Though? That prison sounded great. I want to go there. It really did. Yeah. And I, um, you're like thinking of going I, there. Like, I think the idea is, I would vacation there. I think the idea vacation in Swiss prison. That's it. That's it. And this is where we're at, right? It's just like I can't Airbnb. I will stay in the prison. Yeah. Um, I can't afford a fucking hotel. Put me in prison. Some light crime. So just like a quick little, like a month, two months. You know? Yeah. Just just to relax just I'll to relax like just years. do some community service yeah it's fine um but i do think also like the role of of these sort of richer nations in the book is really interesting right like switzerland itself and like some some shady stuff i don't want to spoil this thing because i didn't even get it till the end of the book but like you know obviously there's actions going around that the people in the ministry for the future can't control and some of it contributes to success and some of it you know takes away from it but they're just people trying things i think when i really finished with the book what i was left with as a lasting sort of thing that really stuck out to me is that the idea of the ministry for the future was initially like the name the ministry for the future was a joke it was a joke mm-hmm. but it stuck because people needed a future, right? Mm-hmm. It's like this sort of idealistic agency, which in name, honestly, was set up to fail. The ministry for the future, when civilizations, um, you know, stewards, in terms of those bankers, those plutocrats, whatever, when they're literally what KSR refers to as shorting civilization in mm-hmm. terms of like banking on human destruction. What does that mean to have a ministry for the future? I honestly love the title of the book because, yeah. like, it's like, and we should honestly like wrap up pretty soon. But um, I love the title of the book because, like, we, yeah, like we, it's it, it really begs the question of like why we why don't we have yeah people who are in charge of thinking about the fucking future? Yeah, mm-hmm. it seems important, you know, mm-hmm. and we just don't have that. Like, yeah. no one is fucking in charge, man. Like, no one, no one is driving the bus. You know, yeah. it's like really terrifying to think about, and like especially when it's like, yeah, the people running the countries like, you know, grew up on typewriters and have no idea what's going on and are just these, like, ancient fucking vampires, you know? And and they're not fucking worried about the future, man, and they should be. 
Yeah. It, <laughs> it made me think about, um, the, like, not to talk about Nietzsche again, because I feel like I always talk about Nietzsche. You always do. But, like, okay, so, like, I remember being a kid, and I remember <laughs> it being beauti- a beautiful, bright, sunny day outside, and I was just, like, inside on my computer fucking around on the internet, because that's the what I did all the time, every day. And I remember my dad being like, one day, you're going to be old, and you're going to look back on this and be like, I should have gone outside more when I was a kid. And I was like, fuck you, dad. Basically, I just, like, didn't listen to him. And I continued to do stuff like that until until I read this, like, one Nietzsche passage, this idea that Nietzsche presented to me, which has exists in other places, which is this idea that, like, when you die, you'll be reborn again in this exact life again. You know? Like, it's like it's like this, it's called eternal recurrence. So, like, the idea that, like, every, every decision that you're making now is setting, is, like, solidifying what you're going to do on this day when you live your life out over and over again for the rest of eternity. So like, and like what I think is really, what I think is cool about that is it actually, that shit actually got me out of my, out of my like house, you know? Cause what I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm like, well, one day I'm just going to be dead and it'll, maybe I'll be disappointed, but also then I'll be dead and it'll be fine. But this idea that just basically being like, like I am currently like doing, it made me actually think about how like the stuff that I'm doing right now is affecting the future. You know, and like my my future, you know, like and a future that's like going to be forever. No, I think it's a, like I think that like it's Star brings us up often. I think it's I like yeah I don't know. This is <laughs> this is what I'm thinking about when I'm reading this. Is I'm just kind of like I'm kind of like there's a frozen state that is just kind of like well it'll just be bad and then we'll be dead or whatever. But like when I when I think about this like eternal recurrence idea, I I think about I, that's like a way that I can actually visualize being connected to like both the past and the future at the same time. You know, like this like of like I. Uh, and it makes me actually feel empowered to do things differently than like how I would be doing it normally. Um, that makes sense to me. And a bu- <laughs> listeners who think it makes sense. Yeah. Thumbs up. I think it, it does. I think it's like a hope for the future to do something different. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So I feel like we should wrap this up cause it's gone on for a long time, but, um, I want to really encourage, um, listeners to read the book. Um, and also to discuss it with your friends. I think one of the most important gifts that this book like offers is it gives us a way to actually think about and talk about climate change. And I think so often we are stuck in so much like emotional like pain and then a freeze response that we actually are not thinking and talking about climate change as much as we should. Or it's just like this very like depressing, like, you know, comments about how the weather is all fucked up and like how we feel horrible and we're really scared. And I think that this book does such a great job of both holding that despair and, like, the powerlessness and, like, the sense that nothing is happening and nothing can happen, along with, like, this, like, extremely, like, radical hope for something that could be really, really different and that we could all play a role in. So, um, you know, if you got anything from this, uh, this episode, it's I really hope that you guys will read the book. Yeah, I echo that. Amazing book, um, and one that brings a lot of like hope and realism into an otherwise very bleak and uh, cynical and depressing uh, kind of moment. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks, Tara. Um, thanks, DJ. Both of you, and also thank you to the listeners, and uh, we'll see you next time. Love you. Bye. <laughs>